Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can read it in a language that we can understand, that you speak by your spirit through it. You've promised to to feed us and teach us by your word, and that the preaching of your word doesn't return void, that, that what we are doing now will accomplish what you choose to accomplish. It hardens the clay and melts the ice. We would pray that there would be those who have hearts prepared to hear this, that this seed would go forth and it would produce much fruit in our lives and in the lives of others as well. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I want to back up just a little bit so we have our context. And we'll go back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse, let's start in verse 34. He's speaking to this group of persecuted Jewish Christians. And he says, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. And then he goes on by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. In verse 6 he says, Without faith it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And then he goes back to examples from um, the patriarchs from the Old Testament. By faith Noah, by faith Abraham. And in verse 9 um, by faith, Abraham went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. The word of the Lord. And so what we see as we continue through this chapter 11 of, of Hebrews, this called the faith chapter, that God uses people of faith to accomplish his purposes. That God has made promises, God has his purposes that he's going to do, but what he does is he uses people of faith to accomplish those purposes. And, and here's Hebrews' point, one of the big points of Hebrews. You are people of faith. So live by that faith. Don't give up. It's one of the big themes of Hebrews is persecution and the need to persevere, the need for endurance. And if you look, if we skip ahead a little bit to Hebrews chapter 12, he goes through after giving more examples of faith from the Old Testament. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded 
by so great a cloud of witnesses, talking about all these Old Testament saints, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, and who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so we're to consider him, we're to see the endurance of Christ Jesus, the things that Jesus went through that he did not deserve to go through, lived a perfect life, and he endured the shame and the suffering of the cross. Also, all the indignities of this life that he was born into, in a humble condition, he was, you know, imagined leaving heaven um, and then being born in a very poor estate. It's amazing that Jesus did not come in a big, as, as a king. That he would, you would think if God sends his son, he would want everyone to, to just to build him up, to worship him, and he would lavish things on him. But instead, what he does is he's born in poverty. He's born in a manger, an animal's feeding trough, and, and he never really has anywhere to lay his head. He, he wanders this earth. He, he, he struggles with the sin that he sees. He prays to his father um, constantly. He goes away. He's troubled in his spirit. He deals with things in this life, and he feels what a person feels in the way a person feels it because Jesus became man. And so he dealt with everything that we deal with and yet without sin. And he endured the cross. And so if Jesus Christ had to endure suffering, then we should not consider it a strange thing when we have to endure suffering. And that by faith in Jesus Christ, we are able to do great things. God can do great things through us. And our problem is when we have a desire to do great things. And we just want to be elevated. We want to feel good about ourselves in these things. But the Bible continually tells us to humble ourselves. And at the proper time, he will exalt us. But the proper time may be in heaven. If we're seeking exaltation, we're seeking the things of Satan, not the things of God. Jesus humbled himself. And therefore, we are to humble ourselves. But it is a call for endurance. It is not a call. We do not have a faith that tells us the more faith you have, the more, the better, the better everything goes. That doesn't require any endurance. I mean, endurance is you're running down the streets for miles and you have to keep going and you can't stop for whatever reason and you have to keep going. That's, that's endurance. It's not endurance to have everybody come up and give you everything you want. You know, to have everything you need, to have whatever problem you have is just immediately taken care of. That doesn't require any en endurance. So we expect things in this life to be difficult. And the author of Hebrews is telling these people, it's like, you need faith. Your problem, the reason you're abandoning the church, the reason you're abandoning Christ, the reason that you're thinking about leaving, the reason that hardship is causing you to turn away is because you don't have faith. And by faith, and he goes through all these Old Testament people. So we have to run with endurance. And he says, one problem with running with endurance is you have a lot of sin that clings too 
closely to you, that you have to lay aside every weight and sin. Uh, and you're a pastor, and if anybody comes across one of these, all right, this is what I want for Christmas. You ready? I want an actual ball and chain. And yes, I'll wear it with my gorilla outfit. If I still had my bullhorn, I'd preach the gospel with all that. But he had this ball and chain. And so he would talk about this verse, and he'd put this little chain on him. And this ball, I mean, you have no idea how heavy these things are. They would keep people. You know, you can walk away with it. You can get away. You know, put somebody in a ball and chain, and it's not going to be hard to track them down. Imagine running a race in the Olympics, and they're like, you know, you're so fast, Ryan, that what we're going to do is, is we're going to put a ball and chain on you to, to let you run this marathon. So you're, <clears throat> you're not going to go far. And God is saying, that's sin. That's what you're doing. There's these videos about privilege and how certain people with privilege get to start further ahead than other people, and it's not fair. Don't ask for fairness, by the way. But what we have is sin. I don't care where you start in life. You start that far ahead and you do that in a sinful way, that is not helpful to you. You can be the poorest person in the world with zero earthly privilege, but have Jesus Christ at your side and you're not living in sin and you're not, you don't have this weight that entangles you. And you can go and you can move and you can do whatever God calls you to do. All sorts of things can be sin. All sorts of things can be weights that, that hinder us. But with faith... We are able to get rid of some of that. We don't have to have a ball and chain holding us down. That we can walk in the spirit and not the flesh. And then we're able to move. You have the lights turned on. There's all sorts of analogies of this in scripture. It's like walking in a room, turning the lights off. You know how that is, especially when your eyes haven't adjusted yet. You can't see good. You're running the things. You're bumping the things. You have all sorts of problems. But God says, I am the light of the world. And now you are the light of the world. And you can see. And that's what happens when we have faith. But if you let sin cling too tightly to you, then it's a great hindrance to us. And he brings up this example of Abraham first as he comes with Sarah's wife. And he says that um, Abraham is called to go to a place and he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And he ended up living in tents. He was going to live in the land of, of promise. He believed God's promises. So what Abraham saw was abandoning everything that he had. He was wealthy. He had a life set and established. And God says, go. I have something better for you. I've had some plan I have for you. And I'm going to lead you to the land of promise. And so by faith, he goes. And he's promised you're going to have all these children, have descendants, as many as the stars in heaven, as many as the, the sand on the seashore. And his wife can't have children. And he waits a long time. And he's like, what am I going to do? I don't have an heir. So if you know the story of Abraham, he did some things not by faith. And he was disciplined by God because of that. But the great thing about Hebrews 11 is it talks about things they did by faith, not the things they did with lack of faith. They weren't perfect, but he had been promised descendants. And faith tells us that God will do whatever he promises. That's what faith is, that God will do whatever he promises, that God is good and that we can trust him and that he does really work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That's by faith. 
So if you look at Genesis 18, just keep your place there a minute, I guess you really don't even need to keep your place there, but let's do. Genesis 18, first book of the Bible there, is where we find this um, account of what happened with them. So verse eight, chapter 18, Genesis, verse 1 um, Yahweh appears um, to Abraham by the oaks at Mamre, and he sat down at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, that's Abraham. And the Lord, um, let me start here at verse 2. Abraham lifts up his eyes, and he looks, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And we know that these end up being angels. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I found favor in your sight, do not pass by your tent. Uh, let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you've come to your servant. So they said, do as you've said. And Abraham went quickly to the tent of Sarah and said, quick. Three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he cut curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. And they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. And now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And that's where we need to sit just a second to think about that. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No. But you did laugh. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom, and Abram went with them to see them on their way. And so she does have a baby. And they name him Isaac, Yitzhak, which means laughter. It's like, okay, you're going to laugh? Oh, yeah, we're going to laugh. And that's what we're going to name him, laughter. So every time you called him, it's laughter, because you're going to remember that you laughed. Now, it wasn't a mocking laugh. It was, it's just, it was a laugh of apparent reality you're going to have a baby imagine <laughs> being so old but God says anything is possible for God nothing is too hard for the Lord and since to me this is Reformation Sunday because it's so close to Reformation Day which was just yesterday um, that's why we sang a mighty fortress from Martin Luther it's one of the uh, Martin Luther wrote a whole lot of um, hymns, and I can't remember. I think there's like, it used to be when they wrote hymns, they wrote like way too many lyrics. So like some of these hymns that we sing, and they have like five or six verses, they actually have like 40 verses to them. And so I guess somebody at some point went through and said, no, not that one. Uh, no. Okay, this is a good one. So I don't know who made those decisions, but someday, Miss Joyce, maybe we'll sing all 40 verses of some long thing. She laughs. We will call that song, Get Sock. And... <laughs> 
<laughs> and, um, but Martin Luther, you know, he writes, he's writing out of his faith and these things that he sees. And uh, he has this quote. He says, if you would trust God, you must learn to crucify the question, how? If you would trust God, you must learn to crucify the question, how? How is God going to do that? How is God going to do this? How is God going to do it? It's the worst question to ask of God. Is anything too hard for God? We've seen God do a lot of things. I've seen God do a lot of things in my life. We've seen God do a lot of things in this church. And typically it's like, you know, this needs to happen. Well, how, how are we going to make that happen? Well, we'll do A, B, C, D. And then we do A. No, we do B. No, C, no, D, no. It's like, well, I guess we got that one wrong. And then the thing occurs in a way we never thought of. It's like, okay, it wasn't wrong for us to do necessarily A, B, C, D. But God accomplishes his purposes. And sometimes we have our mind fixed on the things promised rather than having our heart resting on the promise, sir, that he who promises is faithful and true and in power, control of all things. So the question for us really is what does God want of us? What is God calling you to do? What's God calling me to do? What's God calling us to do? And the question is, what has God promised? Because that's what faith does. Faith apprehends the promises of God. It behaves as if God will truly um, bring those promises about, that God will do what he's promised. So what has God promised? He's promised never to leave or forsake us. Imagine truly believing that every minute of every day of everything you do. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Keep that in your mind. That he is going to equip us for every good work. Everything we need to do, everything that God has given us to do that is of faith, that is good, he will equip us. You are perfectly prepared for whatever it is that God has for you just next. Perfectly prepared for it. You're not yet perfectly prepared for 20 years from now, 30, 40 years from now. We should live so long, the Lord tarry, but he will prepare you. He's promised that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. It's a promise. So we have to live in that light. And there's lots of bad things that happen, lots of horrendous things that happen. But we believe that God is in control. Well, faith, we believe that things are working together. By faith, we believe that one day all things will be made right. All things will be set either justice or grace or mercy but all evil was poured out all punishment was either poured out on Jesus Christ or on the actual perpetrators of this evil that one day will be in heaven and if we were to say why this why that I can't believe then you see how God orchestrated all things together then you would you have to say yes and amen it doesn't mean that bad things are called good or good things are called bad. It just means that somehow in the providence of God, living in a cursed world, God even uses sin sinlessly. And as we see horrific things occurring, we know that God is yet in control. We know that we're promised that all who call upon the Lord shall be saved. All who call upon the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, that the church has a job to do. Jesus says, I will build my church. And then he calls us as under shepherds to come behind him and do what he calls us to do. 
do it out of faith. We're promised that the prayer of a righteous accomplishes much. That prayer is powerful and effective. Anything you ask according to his will, he will do. That's good news. Because you sure don't want to have things that are against God's will answered in your prayers. You know, you ask for one thing. God doesn't want that to happen, but it happens anyway. Woo! (laughs) We need to get rid of your prayer life because I don't want that to happen. But somehow God causes things to happen through prayer. But nothing happens outside of his will. How do you put those two things together? It's not too hard for God. We're called to make disciples. That means you should be a disciple. And what's a disciple? Somebody that follows Jesus Christ, that looks closely, observes, and tries to imitate. We're supposed to make disciples, too. So disciples are disciple makers. And yet, we also need to recognize the fact you are not Abraham. You are not Sarah. But we have the same faith in the same God. One of the mistakes, and we'll talk about this in a minute, is thinking that God speaks to us the same way he spoke to Abraham, or God speaks to Sarah the same way he speaks to us, that, that we get these types of calling. But we are called to grow the church. And one way God grows the church is through children. So children, you have a great responsibility. Parents, you have a great responsibility. Uh, I know it's hard to pay attention sometimes, but you know, we got a generation coming up. And one way to grow to church is through having children. Now Miss Ruby, who's in her 80s, she would always be back here at certain points with the choir. And I remember saying, you know, because we're having lots of people having babies, which is a great thing. Some of y'all are in here now. You were those babies. And I said, you know, one of the ways God grows to church is by having children. I heard Miss Ruby say, well, I'm not participating in that evangelistic program. But she has a grandchild named Isaac, so that's kind of ironic. I guess it's not ironic. <laughs> but yeah, so if you're sitting here, you're in your 80s, your 90s, you're listening to this, and you're like, well, Sarah laughed. I don't know that laughter would necessarily be the thing that you would do. <laughs> you're not Sarah. It's okay. We're not called to do the same things that Sarah was called to do. We're not called to do the same things that Abraham was called to do. Abraham went without knowing where he was going. Sarah was able to conceive. Now, here's misuses of that, how we can misapply that information to our lives. One, God is calling me to leave my church, leave my job, leave my relationship. I don't know why. I have no reason for it. I just feel he's calling me to leave. I don't know where I'm going. But just like Abraham, I too am called. And it's like, maybe, but you're not Abraham. And God's not speaking to you the same way that God spoke to Abraham. Hebrew starts like this. In the former days, God spoke to his prophets. In these last days, he spoke by his son. You did the word of God. We're in a church. We're called to do and believe certain things. If God is calling you to go somewhere, how do you know? 
And it's one of the great things. I was listening to a, um, a pastor on the radio this morning, and he was saying, you know, about God told him to do this, and God told him to do that, and you want to do what God tells you to do, and you want to be able to hear the word of God, and you want to be able to follow his leading, and you want to be able to do what he tells you to do. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's great. It's great. And I, I was just like, well, that's true. And then I started thinking, it's like, well, you're not telling people how to hear the word of God. You're not telling them, I mean, and then the more I listened, the more I understood that he's getting some sort of direct revelation from God. You got direct revelation from God. And you have the Holy Spirit that will apply those things to you in your life. And what you do is, is you, you obey the things that are clear in Scripture for us to obey. You pray to God to lead you providentially into different things in your life. You serve God with gladness, and you start to watch for what gifts you have. You start to see, and you learn that through service. Don't go, I don't have the gift of whatever, so I'm not doing that. Well, just because you don't have the gift of giving doesn't mean you aren't called to give. Just because you don't have the gift of teaching doesn't mean you aren't called to teach. But those who have certain gifts are called to greater um, use of those gifts. So whatever gifting you have, you're supposed to use that to the glory of God. And then there will be um, sovereignly arranged circumstances in your life as you're following him um, just daily in your life where something comes up and you think, I somebody says hey will you do this and you're like I don't know so you go to other people and you start praying well we're nominating deacons and elders somebody might come up to you and say hey have you ever thought about being a deacon and you're maybe like well yeah I kind of thought about being a deacon before well can I put your name in nomination yeah you can put my name in nomination and it's like all right and then here we come to the session we got somebody's name in nomination it's like okay this guy hardly ever comes to church this guy doesn't help other people this guy does not know his bible but he's a very cool guy, and we like him a lot. What are we supposed to do? And what you do is, is we go and we talk to him, and we go and we pray together, and we say, so you want to serve in the church more? Yeah. Awesome. Let's start serving. Come on. And we start doing it together. Now, does that mean that person's called to be a deacon? I don't know. But you will see soon enough when you begin to serve, whether or not that's your gifting or not. And, and that's the way the church works, together. We're being fitted together as living stones. You don't have somebody just pop up and say, I mean, you may have this inclination, inward inclinations that God gives you. You're called to something. You're drawn to something. And that can be because these are your gifts, and these are the things that my mind goes towards, and these are the things I want to do. Miss um, Joyce plays the piano. You know, it's like, and I mean, the, you're just right there. There's a big piano right there. So if one plays the piano, typically when they're good at it, you're like, why did you decide to play the piano? And it's like, well, God told me one day to start playing the piano. Really? Yeah, I never wanted to play the piano, but one day God told me to. It's like, well, that's strange. I guess, like, you know, but it's like, you just kind of want to do it. You know, maybe your parents have made you sign up under Miss Joyce, as I look back at certain children in the congregation, and they, and they hate it. But then they kind of fall in love with it. As they get better, it's like, man, I love this. And one day, who knows, they're playing here and they're loving every second of it. Because they started to explore their gifts. They started to see what it's like. There's nobody likes, well, I shouldn't say this. I do not like playing an instrument that I cannot play. I do not like having to learn something that I can't do at all. But once you begin to kind of learn it, then you decide whether you fall in love with it or not. I talk about playing golf. I, I'm not good at golf, but um, when you first start playing golf, it's like 
the devil invented it. There's no way you can do these things. And so I played nine holes, and then I would pout the rest of the nine holes, wishing everybody would just let stop. And then I would do that a few times, play nine, pout nine. And then one day I hit the ball, and I hit it well. And I was like, oh, this is why people do this. And then, you know, every now and then I can hit the ball good. And you live for those times because so, you start to fall in love with these things. And that's what it is with service. There's going to be lots of failures, but there's lots of times you see God at work and you'll begin to understand where your gifting is. But if you don't serve other people, if you don't step outside of yourself, if you don't do these things, you'll never find it. And I think that's a, a great problem with the church today is it's all about me. Somebody needs to be serving me. I mean, okay, my spiritual gift is being ministered to. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Who needs my services? And I think as well, a lot of people think, and we have to be very careful with that but the appropriate use of what we're seeing with Abraham and Isaac you know and, and you talk about Sarah too because there's some people who can't have children and so it can look like and some people could preach if you had more faith if you had the faith of Sarah you'd have children it's like no Sarah was promised by God to have a child so she believed that promise we're not all promised that but there are promises that we do all have and we trust God with these promises. How can I get through persecution? That's what we're talking about. How do I get through trials? How do I get through problems? How do I get through the hard things in life? And it's by the same faith the patriarchs did the stuff they were called to do. You know, whatever God's calling you to do, whatever God has for you, he'll get you there if you're walking in faith and you're, and you're trying to be obedient and you just are trying to think about other people and you're serving the Lord. God has called you to do something. And I don't know what he may have called you to or will be calling you to. These callings can change over time in our lives, too. Maybe he'll call you to go into a foreign mission field. We need to think about that for our children. That that's something that perhaps we could, they might be called to do. Maybe he'll call you to be a pastor. Maybe he'll call you to be a, a teacher. Maybe he'll call you just to be an encourager. It's one of these people that just encourages people. Maybe he'll call you to, to support missions monetarily or through money or through prayer or through service in some way. Or he'll call you just to be a prayer warrior, just to be somebody who just prays fervently. But we're all called to do these things, but sometimes God gifts you particularly. Here's a good way to really see where your gifts are, too. If you look around the church and you get irritated by the fact that some people don't do a particular thing, that's probably where your gift is. Because <laughs> you're like, why does everybody do this? It's like, well, it's your gift. Make sure you're doing it. And, um, and it's a good way to, to, to kind of notice it. But we're all called to do some of those things, and by faith we can do them, but we have to start having enough faith to obey God, to lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely, to live for God, to live by faith, to live for Jesus Christ. He has gifted each of you differently, and you discover those gifts by serving faithfully. We figure out his calling in the church with other believers. And our calling now is to be the church. Be the light. Follow Christ. He is always at work around us. Figure out what he's doing and then join him in that we are losing the next generation of Christians. We are losing, as I have a prayer list that I keep, I see when I get down to, I'm speaking from my generation to children below me, 
into grandchildren increasingly as they get older these kids are not in church these kids are not of faith these kids were losing it is not going in the right direction my grandparents my grandparents I guess for some of you that's great or great great grandparents but my grandparents were raised in a Christian culture there was a lot of sin in it there was a lot of good in it but my grandparents were raised in a Christian culture everybody went to church if you weren't a Christian and you were a business person you went to church because man it looked bad to not go to church so you at least gave lip service to the Christian faith it was a Christian culture and my parents were raised in a declining Christian culture my generation I would say was pretty much maybe we didn't realize it a lot but it was already pretty much a post-Christian culture and then my children are raised in a secular culture meaning you know already keep your religion at home uh, separation of church and state means you know the state is secular to have nothing to do with God and if you have anything to do with God don't bring it into the workplace don't bring it into the school don't bring it into the public square keep it at home keep it in a church but my grandchildren seem to be being raised in an anti-Christian culture and maybe we don't see it so much but it's that's the way I see it I mean it's increasingly anti-Christian not just let's separate but let's push it down I don't think we see it because we don't stand up against it you know you've got so many things the culture pushes that's just absolutely sinful biblically but we don't say anything and why not and some of it is well we understand where they're coming from we, we see the whole homosexual movement and we think well we shouldn't be persecuting homosexuals well duh but don't call what's bad good and don't call what's good bad don't let people define don't let the world control the culture but they're going to because this is the world but we got to be a church that's fine except for the fact that maybe our grandchildren and great-grandchildren aren't going to be in church they're not going to be the church they're going to be the world so we have to do something about that because what comes after an anti-christian culture darkness dark ages my brother-in-law pasted an article today about Wicca, witchcraft, paganism, outnumbering the PC USA denomination. And we've got to learn to speak out sometimes, too, because a lot of PC USA denominations are involved in Wicca and stuff like that, too. Churches. We're not preaching the gospel. We're not believing it. We're not acting out of faith. We're not living by faith. We need to start doing it. You got to walk by faith. You got to live by faith. Everything we do needs to be lighting up the world around us. One of the slogans of the Reformation was post tenebras lux, after darkness light. So it may be the world gets real dark, and maybe that's what God has to do to make people go, oh my goodness, it's dark. 
and then the light shines. You ever gone into the, what limbral caverns or whatever they're called? Where it goes real dark and you can't see anything, and all of a sudden somebody just lights a little match and it's blinding. You know, so if we're not shining very bright and God wants people to see us, maybe He makes the world darker and darker and darker. But we're called to be light. It comes from Job 17:12 in the um, the Latin Vulgate version of the Bible. It's translated in English as "After darkness, I hope for light." It's Job going through terrible stuff. After darkness, I hope for light. And then Jesus said, "I am the light of the world." John 8:12. "I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life." And in Matthew 5:14, he says this. You are the light of the world. Speaking of believers. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We've been hidden. We've been hidden way too long. And if we are hidden, it's, it's our own fault. We desire too much to be liked. We desire too much to be respected. We desire too much to have people think well of us. We desire too much to fit in. It's damnable. It is not pleasing to the Lord. And I'm as guilty of it as anyone else. But we're called to be the light. We're called to live by Christ. And there are things in the world and this culture that we are connected to and that we love. And maybe they need to be done away with, reformed or something. And we have to learn to speak against things that are bad and speak for things that are good. Um, <laughs> this this um, virus you would think we are a people who value life among all things and yet we treat abortion like it's no big deal we have an entire political party that has as its platform death abortion up to pretty much any point we've redefined marriage which God has put into this world as a sign of the gospel And we'll say yes and amen to people who have that as things they believe in and we'll promote them, vote for them, or do whatever because marriage can be between a man, a man, a woman, and a woman. What does it matter? Love is love. It's Satan talking. I mean, that's just demonic. I mean, we're supposed to be the light of the world. Romans 2.19, we are to be a light to those in darkness. And I want to close with this before we go to the table of the Lord and we make sure that we're not going to the Lord in, hypo in hypocrisy. Ephesians chapter 5 beginning in verse 1 we're told to be imitators of God. Imitators of God. Don't imitate culture. Don't imitate darkness. I mean, I can tell you this, there are going to be people, maybe even sitting here that don't like this, what I'm saying. There may be people watching this that don't like what I'm saying. Or maybe you all agree and you're all amen and we go out there, there's going to be people that don't like this. You're going to end up calling, I mean, one of our, I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse or whatever, one of our situations is we're small. We've been able to get away with a lot of stuff during this time because we've got a big building and small numbers of people. But my prayer is that we'll have an outsized influence and I don't care what happens to me. 
honestly. I mean, I don't care. I, don't, I, I care, but if, if I die, I'm going to stand before God one day and he's going to say, yeah, I gave you a pulpit. What would you do with it? He's going to say to you, I gave you faith. I gave you light. I gave you hope. I gave you the gospel. What would you do with it? You know, well done, good and faithful servant, or, you know, <laughs> what are we doing with it? Speak the truth in love. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Okay, so that sounds like you're supposed to love everybody. That's what the world will stop right here. The world's cool with that. Love everybody. What are you doing talking bad about these things? Love everybody. Love is love. Then it goes on. But sexual immorality, all impurity, covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That should scare us greatly. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Do you not want to tell people that? No, because they're not going to listen to you. But man, the wrath of God is going to come on sons of disobedience. One, don't be a son of disobedience and warn people of the wrath to come. Therefore, do not associate with them. That's a tricky one. For at one time you were darkness, but now you're light of the world. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Ugh. That's God's word. You want to know what God's calling you to do? He's probably not calling you to leave everything you have and go do something. He's saying expose the works of darkness. How are you supposed to do that? I mean, some of us don't even know what they are. We can't tell the difference. So the first thing you do is figure out what's pleasing to the Lord. Walk as children of light. Verse 12. It's shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper. Arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Awake, O sleepers. How do we get more faith? We pray for it. I believe. Help me, my unbelief. We spend time with God in his word. Are you doing that? Don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. Walk in the light. Obey God. Grow like a tree planted near the water. God gives the increase. God produces the fruit, but he does this by calling us to follow him. Let goods and kindred go. Let goods, means all the stuff, and kindred, if you have to leave family to follow him, leave family to follow him. This mortal life also, the body, they may kill, but God's truth abides still, and he must win the battle. Don't Waste your life on trinkets and beads. Give your life to some great cause. Make your life worth living and live by faith. Let's pray. Lord, um, I, 
I got no business up here telling people stuff like this. This, this has to be from you. And the word of God is very clear. I don't live it out the way I ought to. I'm quite convinced of that. I'll be most amazed and in tears and on my knees if I hear, well done, good and faithful servant. It's only by the mercy of Christ that that's possible. But Lord, don't let us live in darkness. Don't let us live ridiculously dancing along to the tune the world plays when it's going to be condemned and it's going to be dark and it's going to be awful. Lord, help us to, to say there's hope, there's life, there's, there's, there's joy, there's something beyond all of this. But Lord, help us not to take part in the things that this world takes part of. We, the darker the world gets, the more we're going to have to stand out against it. So let's pray that, that you'll, you'll help us to learn about a theology of suffering, that we'll learn what it means. To be able to sacrifice, that our faith would be strengthened, that when we stand before you, we won't be looked at by all the other believers as the fluffy Christians who, who barely got in because they lived in America and they had everything. We pray that, that our faith would be found strong, that there might be many there who even bless us because of how much we did with the great blessings we've been given. So as we come to your table, Lord, help us to do it humbly, Help us to do it, recognizing the fact that we don't deserve it, but recognizing the fact that you've promised to be with us and never leave us nor forsake us, and without you we can do nothing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.